0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 37. And now, here's Trevor. Welcome, everyone. Um, Felt like high school again. I almost had an excuse... uh, to not do this this morning because my dog ate my Bible, um, literally. Uh, it was unfortunate, um, but thankfully it was just a portion, so we're okay. Um, so we're going to be in Mark 7 today, but first I want to ask you a simple question, yet it's very complex. Why do we do the things that we do? sounds very simple on the surface, but so complex. Is it because we were brought up a certain way? Is it because we've just—it's a learned behavior? Um, is it something we were taught over time? Um, is it family traditions, church traditions? Um, but we have to ask—you know—is as it cultural? Um, we make decisions all the time, but why do we do what we do? Um, we need to think about this on a regular basis and challenge ourselves. To constantly just examine where why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, and why we hold to traditions we hold to. Um, it's a healthy exercise to do. Um, it's it's just there's so much being bombarded with us right now in culture and in, in society, and then you add on the thousands of years of of history prior to that, um, there is a lot of stuff to comb through. There is a. There are some things that we should let go of, if it's a comfort or if it's a different things. um, Occasionally, we're we we need to be willing to let those things go. Sometimes we need to hold firm. We need to hold with a death grip to certain things. But how do you know? How do you know what to hold to? What to toss away? What is You know, what is good, what is bad, how do you know? The thing is, you have to be properly taught. It's a responsibility of yourself. It's a responsibility of the people that you are being taught from occasionally. And it, but really in reality it has to be a mix. You should be being taught by others, but you also must be teaching yourself, and you must be going to the correct source for that teaching. So you need to make this personal. You do not want to be deceived, and you need to know that it's very important to understand why you do what you do. So how often do you wash your hands? I hope you can say often. Um, I hope you can say that it's after you use the restroom, before... And after dealing with food, and after picking your nose. And, but, you need to, all joking aside, I think we all need to agree that washing your hands is important. And we can all agree that washing cups, plates, cutlery, vessels, all those things are also important. But, I'm here to say you can do it for good reasons, and you can do it for bad reasons, and that is anything. You can, you can turn these things Um, that are good and do them for the wrong. Sometimes we do them for robotic reasons. And to put it delicately, sometimes we do them for brainless reasons. That we just are so used to doing things, we just autopilot, let's go, and we just do it, and we don't even know why. Um, So like I said, Mark 7 is our text. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be going through the whole chapter. Um, So now... And copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So in this passage, we start off with an observation and we start off with a question. Again, the true form, the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to trap Jesus and attempting to discredit him. They say to him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now we have to ask, was this a necessary thing for cleanliness? Was this a thing God commanded? Was this just a tradition? Or does it have absolutely nothing to do with anything? We have to understand, did did God require this? Or was it ceremonial? Well, let's look. Exodus 30. If you want to flip there, we're going to be in 17 to 21. It says, The Lord said to Moses, You shall make a bronze, sorry, a basin of bronze with its uh, stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. And with Aaron and his son, Uh, Sorry, and with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister uh, to burn a food offering to the Lord. They shall wash their feet with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, and to his offspring throughout their generation. Well, now we'll flip to Exodus forty, in verse verse ten. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offerings and its utensils, and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall also bring so you shall bring his sons also and put coats on them. And then 40, 31, and 32. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. So as you can see here, we have a question. I don't see any reference to eating, washing cups, cutlery, dining couches, any of those things. These are the scriptures the Pharisees would have had in mind when discussing this with Jesus. However, the, uh, where do we find these things that they're trying to hold him and his disciples to? We have a problem here. Actually, they have a problem you see, there's five words that we need to look at. It says, the tradition of the elders. That's what they were holding him to. Not Scripture. There is nothing in Scripture that says that, they, that his disciples' hands were defiled. Nothing at all. What we see here is ceremonial. This is for the priests, Aaron and his sons, and the tent of meeting. There is nothing about what the uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees were trying to hold Jesus and his disciples to. In literal way, they were trying to hold Jesus, the Son of God, to human standards that were occasionally loosely based on the Scriptures but with super fun, restrictive, burdensome rules added to it. That's where we are. So what the expectation of the Pharisees and scribes were that the They wanted, and this is what they would do, that before eating or before doing anything, they would point their fingers upwards like this, and another person would have to pour water over their hands, and if it dripped off before running down the wrist, they wouldn't be allowed to enter. They'd have to do it again until they got the angle right and everything correct so that they could enter and not be defiled. That's not scripture, folks. That is why Jesus says this back in Mark 7. So fitting. Jesus quotes Isaiah to them saying, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You catch that? You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Wow. At this point, it was an oral tradition. In 200 AD, they put these writing into writing in the, now I'm going to butcher this, but Mishnah. That's what it's called. They chose wholeheartedly to hold to the tradition of men. Even 200 years after Jesus taught them over and over. In verse 9 through 13, Jesus strikes hard at the heart of their intentions. He says, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles mother and father must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you are no longer permitted to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Here Jesus exposes the practice of Jewish man declaring his possessions Corbin, that is given to God, so that they could use this, so all their money and their possessions would be considered Corbin, which would disqualify them from being held to the standard in the Jewish law to assist their own mother and father. This is a spiteful, hateful act. And their law was designed to permit it. And... If you think that twisting scripture is a new thing, well you are for, nope, it's old. The, if we look at Numbers 30 verse 20, this is where they are getting this from. This is where the, the Jews twist it and say that they can create their own laws to deprive God of His word of its own authority. And they take stuff like this and twist it. It says in Numbers 30, This is what the Lord commands. When a man vows, makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he says. So if they say, it's Corbin, that means my stuff is all committed to only um, sacred purposes. So they don't, sacred purposes only, that's it. It's a free pass. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I'm not following the Ten Commandments, where in Deuteronomy it says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord has given you. No, I, sorry, Mom and Dad. Sorry, I'm not gonna listen to the Ten Commandments. I'm not gonna listen to the law of God. I'm gonna listen to those guys, because they let me do what I want. I don't like you, so my stuff's Corbin. We must be on guard so that the Lord will never say to us what he said to the Pharisees and scribes. So what did he say? Jesus says to the Pharisees and scribes, that you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. I pray that the Lord never says that to us. In our lives, we must approach everything on a Christian worldview, 100% of the time. Why? Because we're Christians, so fancy that. These days... We are not much different than the Jews. They added to the law and therefore made void and deprived the Word of God, the, the authority that it holds. While we do the same thing with liberals, liberalism, science, feelings, bad theology, and hold secular worldviews mixed with Christian worldviews. This is a caution. Challenge yourself. Go to the Word. See if what we are believing, what the traditions we are holding to are there. Do we align? That is important. (laughs) It was important to Jesus and the Jews, it's equally as important to us now. We just have a ton of history to wade through. But we have the scriptures. Go direct. Go to the source. It is much better off for us to discover that now than when we're dead and it's too late. We're going to go to verse 14 to 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all you, and understand There is nothing outside the body, or the. Sorry, there is nothing outside the person that can go into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when we entered the house, or sorry, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, "Are you also without understanding? Do you not see?" All of these things come from within. They defile a person. Not hand-washing. But you can see Jesus' passionate plea here. He calls the people to him and says, Hear me, all of you, and understand. That sounds like he's gearing up for something awfully important, doesn't it? The Jews were becoming great at adhering to the law, but unfortunately mostly the law of their own traditions, the traditions of the elders mixed in with a little bit of the Mosaic law. But they weren't good at understanding the heart issue. With the focus of the external things, they missed the internal. They worried about the unclean foods, but they missed the unclean hearts. Verse 21 lays out quite a list of despicable things. Just look at what month we're in right now, apparently. Pride month. Well, it's not the pride on the list in verse 21 that they're referring to this month. They're referring to a whole other different pride, which is the number two item on the list that Jesus spoke of, sexual immorality. We live in a society that takes pleasure in pushing the Word of God away and celebrates living in sin. We celebrate the sin. That is what defiles us. This list is very sobering. The amount of things on this list alone that I am guilty of in the past or present Is horrifying. But we should approach this with nothing other than falling at the feet of Christ, begging for forgiveness, salvation, and the strength to avoid and run from temptation, not celebration. We should be pleading for the Lord to draw near and close to us and transform us And help us to look more and more like Him every day. Now you see, the law that Jesus and the Lord and, sorry, the the laws that God instituted are for us because He loves us. If you look at this list, they hurt you terribly and they hurt the people around you terribly. That's why they all made this list. Sexual sin causes tons of pain to those that commit the acts. Theft leaves the person who's been stolen from feeling unsafe and violated. Murder, well, that goes without saying. Um, adultery destroys families and children in its wake. Coveting leaves you never satisfied and left with greed in your heart and not the satisfaction of the Lord and Celebrating the blessings he's given you. Wickedness and, and deceit often leave you alone as you're untrustworthy and wicked, so who wants to be around you? Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Well, we get the, we get the point. We see this. They all hurt you or somebody else or both. Usually both. God wants what's best for us for the creation that He loves. His rules, His commandments, His teachings, His laws are for our protection because He loves us. This society rejects that. We must cherish it and abstain from committing these acts that will bring us nothing but destruction. See, whatever you eat leaves your system quickly. But these things the Lord has listed, they remain in you. They don't just pass through and leave your system. They destroy you. So let's celebrate the goodness of the Lord and share his goodness with others by discussing these things with those that don't yet believe so that they can come to the saving faith and understand how blessed they are to see his perfect design that he designed for us right from the beginning. Verse 24 to 30. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house, but did not want anyone to know, uh, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had unclean spirits heard him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman as a Gentile, a Syrophesian by birth, she begged him to cast the demons out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter, and he, she went home and found the child laying in bed, and the demon gone. well, at first glance, that seems pretty harsh, <laughs> comparing her to a dog and the children well, that would be Israel, but as the Jewish society referred to them. The Gentiles were dogs, and the Jews were the children of God. Now, God set it up that they were the children of God, but God didn't really want them to be called dogs. But there's a thing here to see. Look at her response. See, we need to understand the context and the culture around this. The language that the Jews used was derogatory for dog. It was referring to a mangy um uh, mongrel, a vicious dog, just derogatory nasty terms for dog. the word they used now i 'm going to butcher it again, but was q u o n if you know how to say it, and i don't but q we'll just throw that out there Quan uh the word that jesus used was. Q u n a r i o n, Arion Which more refers to a pet. More of a loving term. That's on purpose. Jesus wasn't being derogatory to her in this. But he has a message here. See, the message is, Jesus came for Israel. First, the Gentiles' time had not come. It was coming. The blessings were coming. But it wasn't there yet. So that's why he says, let the children be fed first. It's important to understand. But what was her response to this? She says, yes, Lord. So she identifies who she's speaking to. She's obviously heard about Jesus. And she rightly identified him as Lord. She's a Gentile, Gentile woman. But she comes with faith. And she approaches him as such. She didn't get bent out of shape or different things. But she says to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the table from the children. She didn't come with, give me, give me, give me. She's like, Lord, I'm willing to take the crumbs. My daughter is hurting with an evil spirit, a demon. She needs help. I know you can do it. Give me the crumbs. That's awesome. That is awesome. In verse 31 through 37, <clears throat> it says, Then he returned from Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Isaiah 35, when discussing the Messiah to come and the signs and miracles that would be performed, says, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. This is a recorded fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would come and do this. Now, I'm not sure if you caught how weird it sounds of how he chose to do it, um, but putting his fingers in the guy in the ears and spitting and touching the tongue. Well, that threw me off a little bit. Now, based upon my studies, what I found was this was a form of sign language that Jesus was using for this man. Once again, showing love. Remember, deaf and mute. No communication. So it is uh, most likely that Jesus was using this form of a sign language and the symbolism of spit, which, for whatever reason, had a symbolism of, of healing, in the Bible, and you can see this when Jesus, in other passages, spits into the mud, and makes it and puts it on the guy's eyes, or the other guy spit directly into his eyes, and he was healed. There is a, a, a thread we don't have time to go over right now, but there's, where, there's a, <laughs> there's a thing with spit. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we, you know, but, it's, so it comes across, that's it, ah, weird. But you know what? It's God and he can do whatever he wants. And if we're taking a holy spitting, well, I'll bring it on. But, but it's, uh, but Jesus and everything He does is showing love, whether it's through rules to, to bring us into a confinement of, of what He knows is healthy for us, what He knows is best for us, or whether it's spitting and touching the his tongue, the person's tongue. The Lord acts with love. But if we see what verse 34 says. It says, And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ep fata, that is, be opened. Jesus is always going to the right source. He is God, and He's still going to the Almighty God, the Father. Always. We need to take a lesson from that. So I started this sermon by asking a question. Why do we do the things we do? My prayer is that we can use these tools to figure out why we do what we do moving forward. So one thing, number one, is that we base all our decisions, our beliefs and our actions on what the scripture says and not what outside sources say. And that we challenge ourselves to verify and make sure that what we actually believe is actually in there. And don't fall into the believing of the traditions of men. Like the Jews did. So if it doesn't line up, we got to know. Two, I pray that we do not justify our sin in our life and never celebrate it. But rather see what the Lord says about it, that it defiles you. Three, that we do not create secondary rules to contradict the teachings of the scriptures to justify our own goals and intentions. Four, I pray that we will not, that we will be like this Sarah Phoenician woman and come to the Lord with a grateful heart for even the crumbs that we are so blessed to receive because we deserve nothing. Five, that we trust in Jesus seeing that he has fulfilled the prophecies. And recognize Him as Lord of our own life and turn to Him in faith that will last. And I also pray that the Lord Almighty will never say what He said to the Jews when He said, when He called them hypocrites. He is the just judge. He is the Lord Almighty. And may we never reinterpret things to match our own desires. So remember this verse. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. Don't fall into that trap. So be open-minded. Be personal. Personalize these questions. Why do I believe what I believe? Dive in to the Scriptures. Verify. Find out. Make it personal. Without personal, there's no salvation. And make sure that our worldviews, our doctrines, our traditions... And our decisions line up with what the Bible says in all the areas of our life. Thank you, Father, the King of Kings. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we just pray that you'll just help us to absorb what you want us to learn this morning. And we just pray that you were worshipped and honored and glorified that all that took place here. And Lord, just help us as we go forth that we are your people and that we are constantly seeking after you. We pray for Austin. We pray that you'll be with him in his journey, and we celebrate that he has made this decision. And Lord, help us to support him, as there will be tough times ahead. And Lord, we just pray for him and guide him, and we pray that you'll be with all of us, and that we invite you in more and more. Amen. Thank you for listening.